Thank you for downloading this month's podcast of BJOG Editor's Choice with Deputy Editor-in-Chief John Thorpe. My mentor and editor emeritus of the Green Journal, William Trogmuller, always admonished me to keep the reader in mind as I reviewed and edited manuscripts. The typical reader he envisioned was actually a solo practitioner in the small town of Dunn in rural North Carolina who frequently referred patients to us. He had no obstetrics and gynecological partners to share calls or decision-making with, no intensive care nursery or subspecialty consultants within an hour's drive, and two units of O-negative packed red blood cells in his blood bank. It's been nostalgic for me over the many years since to see our reviewers and editors incorporate the views of the clinician in practice as they accept and edit articles. This edition of the Blue Journal highlights the value of time spent reading for that busy man or woman. Rigarts and colleagues look at the common complaint of dysmenorrhea across a woman's lifetime, surveying a cohort at 13, 50, and 38 years of age. They find that over half of women had experienced pelvic pain in the previous 12 months at age 38, often rating it as severe. Contrary to conventional wisdom, dysmenorrhea symptoms were not diminished by childbirth. Schlepp provides our clinician audience with an insightful commentary, highlighting the advantages of taking a life course approach to pain problems. Anyone who does a gynecological history tomorrow morning will encounter these complaints and have their practices informed by this report and companion commentary. Summer has ended in the Northern Hemisphere and is beginning in the Southern. It's when heat and humidity coupled with the glucosuria of pregnancy that was diagnostic in the pre-laboratory era combined to cause overgrowths of yeast in the lower genital tract. These infestations cause annoying symptoms that can fortunately be relieved with over-the-counter antifungal agents. Rotem and colleagues found that over 2% of pregnant women used azole drugs to treat yeast overgrowths in the first trimester. They provide clinicians and patients with reassuring data for more than 100,000 pregnancies that such a common exposure is not associated with birth defects. Subfertile couples are faced with the frustrating task of time quietus, the demands of which can produce sexual dysfunction. It's therefore not surprising that lubricant use is common by couples trying to conceive. McCurney and colleagues combine fecundability cohorts to show us that one in five couples use lubricants and that using these aids does not negatively affect time to pregnancy. This defies conventional wisdom and clinical advice. The busy clinician who absorbs this new knowledge can remove the admonition not to use lubricants from his or her practice and thereby reduce a bit of the burden so fertile couples encounter in their journey to reproduce. While core outcome sets and various methodological papers may help the clinician in practice further down the road by making clinical trial results more generalizable and their progeny care guidelines more accurate, it will require time for those papers to have practical value for the clinician reader. Intentionally and profitably, there remains a plethora of riches in these pages, 
that are readily accessible and quickly usable by obstetricians and gynecologists who take care of patients every day. The articles mentioned here are just a sample of the rewards reading the British Journal of Obstetrics and Gynecology holds. Thank you for listening to this podcast from BJOG. We have been reporting the best research in women's health since 1902. We are keen to hear your views. Tweet us at BJOG Tweets. You can find more podcasts at www.bjog.org.